Yeah, man. <laughs> As usual, I got to get set up here just a second. I thought I already had it open. Okay. Okay. All righty. As always, guys, it's great to be with you. Uh, I love Friday mornings um, just to get together and, and to fellowship and just to, to bond. Uh, men were never, as, uh, as you've, you've heard me say before, because I've heard Renault, my pastor, say this so many times before. Guys, Rick, do, men do not need to be independent. That's a dangerous place to be for a man. Men need to be interdependent. And uh, that's what I see this doing is, is making us interdependent, realizing that we are interdependent and that we've got to hold each other accountable. We've got to invest in each other's lives. We've got to put our finger in your chest sometimes with each other and, and, and be able to live that way and to trust each other. And uh, I love the fact to be, that we get a chance to do that. I need it. Gosh, I probably need it more than anybody in this room, honestly. Um, I need people in my life speaking and saying, Rick, that is the stupidest thing I've heard. Don't you dare do that, you know? And so anyway, I love being able to, uh, to do that with you guys. Well, this is the third and final session on Ecclesiastes 2. I love this book. I love this chapter. I really do. Um, just to review what we did last week, Solomon set out to, I mean, he really gets into Ecclesiastes in chapter 2, and he sets out in verse 3, he states what his, it's this thesis statement for those English majors, okay? It's, he's setting his purpose, why he's doing what he's doing, and he says it right here in Ecclesiastes 2.3. He says, until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. So basically what Solomon is doing is he's trying to find the meaning of life. Okay, that's what he's that's what he's doing. And if anybody on this earth could do that, Solomon could do it because he had the resources, the time, the authority to be able to venture down that path and seek that the answer to that question. So he did. And as we talked about, he sought pleasure. He thought, ah, oh, it's got to be found in pleasure. And then he went through a litany of things, of acquisitions and, and experiences to try to achieve pleasure. And then in verse 11, he states what the conclusion of that was. And here it is. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. That's the conclusion he came to when he sought pleasure. Now what he's going to do, he's going to venture out and he's going to take a look at the wisdom that God had given him. So now here's, what he, here's where he goes, beginning in verse 12. So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? In other words, there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon said that 3,000 years ago, okay? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness, okay? Thus, the, the, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. So why then have I been extremely wise? 
so I said to myself, this too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. So his conclusion... So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. Kind of exciting, isn't it? Very encouraging. <laughs> what Solomon, and it's, and it's pretty clear here, Solomon's problem. I hope it's clear. I hope it's not a surprise to you. God has not even been mentioned in the book yet. Okay? What he's doing, he's looking in the horizontal. That's where his problem is. He has forgotten God, and therefore, because of that, he's asking the wrong questions because he's looking through the wrong lens. And because he's asking the wrong questions, he's getting the wrong answers. Now, what he's saying is true if there is no spiritual life. But that's the problem. He has been gifted by God in so many ways. God gave him wisdom. And then he says, because you asked for that, I'm going I'm to honor you and reward you with all these other things. And what ended up happening was Solomon, just as the frog in the boiling water, all of a sudden Solomon becomes focused on all the gifts that God has given him. He's completely forgotten the giver. So now his life has become about all these material things, everything in the horizontal. The vertical relationship has just gone out the window. And because of that, we know that, our, that, that this, this void that we have in our soul, it is a God-shaped void, as Pascal said. All right, It can only be filled by him. And because Solomon began to fill it with all the gifts that God had given him and had forgotten the giver, this is his conclusion. Does this sound familiar to you? Okay. Does this sound like the world that we may be living in? <laughs> I'm, you know, I after studying this, I've come to the conclusion I'd be, be completely out the window. But I think what I'm going to do when I start sharing with the, the, the younger generation, I'm going to those that don't know Christ, I'm going to say, you know what? Instead of reading John, why don't you read Ecclesiastes? Because this is the world we live in. <laughs> I'm serious about that. I mean, because what Solomon says here, I mean, this is exactly what our co-workers this is exactly what our neighbors this is this is the life of america this is this is 21st century america it really is it's secularism it's humanism that's exactly what solomon is experiencing and the conclusion he's coming to is exactly the same conclusion our neighbors and our coworkers are going to come to if they don't get to know god they're going to come to the end of their life and they're going to feel the same way they may express it differently okay but it's going to be the same result and that really you know and and so that's why I love this book. It's like, okay, I don't need to experiment. I already know what the result's going to be. I just need to, I need to depend upon him. I need to include him in my life. So anyway, that's where he goes with wisdom. Now, here we go again. Okay? It gets even better. I love it. Okay? So after he said he hated life and all that kind of stuff and everything's futility and striving after winning, he says, thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which... Let me find where I am. Okay, for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will have control 
over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun, this too is vanity. Now, he, may, he, he get a sneak peek into Solomon there. He uses that word control. Solomon was a control freak, okay? Which naturally befalls anybody who starts collecting all this stuff. All of a sudden they realize, oh, I've got to control it all now. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm going to leave it in control of the person who comes after me who didn't even labor for it, and he may be a fool. So why am I doing this? Great question. If there is no vertical relationship. So he continues on. Therefore, I completely <laughs> despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to the one who has not labored with him. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in all his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. Have you ever felt that way? Honestly? Have you ever felt that way? I'm just grieved. It's just my work is grievous. My work is laborious. I can't even rest at night. I mean, guys, I've been there. I've been there. I've lost sight. I've lost sight of the big picture. My eyes have become in the horizontal, and I've forgotten the vertical. Okay, when that happens. What I wanted to do at this point right now in closing... I wanted to compare and contrast. You've got Solomon here, and he's asking some very good questions. Okay? He really is. Now, again, he's, he's skewed, but he's asking some good questions. Now, let's look at some other examples. If you have a, um, a Bible with you, you can turn if you want. It's Philippians 4. It's Paul out of Philippians 4. And you guys are a little bit familiar with this. Most of you guys are. But I want, you, I want to compare and contrast here. Here's Paul talking to the church at Philippi, closing out the book, beginning at verse 10. Here's what he says. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned all along, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And what's the next verse? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that a different perspective? Wow. I mean, night and day here. The difference? Paul had this going on. Paul was deeply imbibing in Christ. Solomon had forgotten God. And so the perspective totally changes the landscape. Paul, I mean, uh, Solomon, you think Solomon was free? You think he was experiencing freedom? Everything that he had sought after, it bound him. He imprisoned himself. What did Paul say in Galatians 5? We talked about the last two weeks. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. And in verse 13 and 5, he says, Brothers, you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So freedom is available to us in Christ. Without it, we're living for ourselves. And all that is going to do is just going to imprison us and bind us. 
It's going to be laborious. There is no hope. Life is uncertain. It's futility. It's grievous. It's despairing. That's the end result. Okay? In Genesis, God created work for us to enjoy. You think Solomon was enjoying his work? I hated life. Okay? He, again, lost sight of the man upstairs. So... Here's how, Paul, here's how Solomon concludes, and we'll conclude it here, and we'll go into our questions. Verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. God finally makes it in the book. Verse 25, for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? So there you go. The man who sought to find it, the meaning of life in every area of life other than God finally comes to the conclusion it's found in God. Psalm 127, my favorite psalm, was written by Solomon. We associate Solomon with Proverbs, but he also wrote a psalm. And in that psalm, he says this, verse 1. I love it. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, when Solomon's talking about house, he's not talking about a structure, four walls. He's talking about everything that encompasses that house. The relationships between the children and the parents, the relationship between the husband and the wife, all the activities that are associated with that house. Unless the Lord is building that, we labor in vain. Look, guys, I just, I want so much just to say, make sure God is at the center of your home. Make sure he's the center of your home. If he's not, you're laboring in vain and it's going to wind up. You're going to end up in the end regretting that you ever tried to seek something other than that. Lead your home with a godly leadership and godly wisdom. Please do that. The next thing he says is, unless the Lord watches the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. He's your security. Okay, Solomon wrote that years before he started getting in Ecclesiastes. He was still hanging on to God, but then he lost sight of God, and this is what we have. It's a perfect example of our need for him. That's why I want to read, you know, have people read this book, especially kind of the millennial generation, you know. All right, you want to see where it's going to end up? Hey, have fun, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so anyway, that's the essence of Ecclesiastes 2. Don't forget God.